Welcome to Politics in Question, a podcast about how our political institutions are broken and ideas for fixing them. My name is James Walner, and I'm a senior fellow at the R Street Institute and a lecturer in the Department of Political Science at Clemson University. And we have a, a, a special treat today. My colleague from R Street, uh, Ryan Williamson, is going is joining us. And welcome, Ryan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for thanks for being here. Um, Ryan is a resident fellow in the governance uh, in the governance program at R Street, and he looks into and he takes deep dives into election reform issues and how we administer our elections. And he looks also at legislative procedure, a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and legislative capacity, something that R Street has long been interested in. Uh, I, I do regret to say, I will say this as a Georgia Bulldog, go dogs. Uh, Ryan was a, uh, he is a, uh, was an assistant professor of political science at Auburn University, but we can't all be uh, perfect. But, um, and he was a, also a congressional fellow in the US, uh, the Senate Committee on Rules and Administration. And so he really has looked at these issues from all of the different ways imaginable that you could look at them. And I, he's written a paper that I, that I think would be great to talk about. And so, Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work, things that I have missed? And then I want to kind of dive into this, this paper. Yeah, well, I just want to start with, I, I got my PhD from Georgia, so I'm, I'm right there with you, go, go dogs. Um, but <laughs> I just I, wanted you to say it, so now it looks like everybody loves Georgia. Uh, well played, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my my entire professional life, I've, I've thought about elections and how can we we make them better, um, whether that's through, you know, enhancing security, you know, increasing access, um, better funding, um, you know, what, whatever it takes to make sure that elections are free, fair and secure. Um, and sometimes that means, you know, big institutional reforms like rethinking, you know, ranked choice voting or redistricting commissions or how we conduct primaries. And sometimes it's more nuanced things like, you know, pre-processing of mail-in ballots and when the absentee uh, turning cutoff deadline should be. And so, you know, I've just spent a lot of times about how how can we make elections better? And what it really comes down to is, is this paper and, you know, how, how we can better fund elections and the ramifications that that has for security. Well, and before we get into that, and I, and it's really an interesting question because you also you very rarely think about how much elections cost. At least I, uh, it's not something that comes to my mind right away when I hear or think about elections and the problems with them. But it is, it's there. Like everything, money matters, dollars matter, and if and and they could be underfunded. I think you're going to tell us they are, and and there and there are lots of ways to to reform them. But if you don't have the money, those reforms could all be for naught. But before we go down that path, could you share with our listeners a, a kind of a brief description of our electoral system and how it operates, at least at the federal level, uh, in in American politics? Although I imagine many of the reforms. Many of the investments would apply equally to state and federal elections. But could you just give us a sense right now of where election policy is in American politics and how it operates? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, election election policy is it's not something that a lot of people have taken up. Um, it's 
you know, as politicians, you win under a certain system and reforming that system um, could jeopardize your future electoral prospects. So there's not necessarily a, a large appetite to change how elections are done. But in recent years, um, you know, especially born from a lot of the changes that were put in place due to the pandemic, um, there's a, a kind of a, a, a new kind of fervent discussion about what should these elections look like and what is the trade-off between convenience and security. Um, and, and unfortunately, some of these, um, you know, election reforms have taken, you know, a partisan line to them. Parties often advocate for reforms that they think will advantage them without necessarily thinking about what is better for the voters writ large. Um, so that's that's something that's really difficult to grapple with. Um, just thinking about the the current landscape is, I guess, in a nutshell, um, is that there's not a lot of appetite sometimes to um, enact meaningful reform, and it's it's often kind of tainted by partisanship, even though elections are a kind of a nonpartisan administrative exercise. Right. I mean, they're nonpartisan. But to a certain extent, I mean, the rules are always going to advantage one side or the other. Obviously, I think there are better rules and worse rules, but they do have an impact. And I think that speaks to why the uh, the two parties, and this goes back to the beginning of the Republic, why the two parties are um, so invested in ensuring that the election policies of, of various states are conducive to their kind of prospects. I mean, what, what's your take on that? I mean, I, I think that makes sense. And I, I think you're right. The, the parties will always have a, a vested interest. But, you know, what what I would like to see is a, a greater discussion of what advantages voters the most instead of I like this because I think I can benefit from it. So I'm going to support it instead of, mm -hmm. OK, I recognize that this would be better for everyone. And you know, there are very few kind of true believers when it comes to um, election reforms. You know, very few people are going to be willing to potentially sacrifice their positions of power to make uh, elections better for, you know, the general electorate. Well, as what Madison, James Madison tells us, that we have to attach the interest of the man to the interest of the place. And ideally, you could make it with a good reform. Uh, with good uh, good ideas uh, in the interest of both the parties and the partisans and the people, uh, the voters they are they are courting. Uh, I would think, although you're the expert um, on that front. <laughs> what real quick though, before I, I move on, I wanted to ask you though about the divide between state and federal government because that obviously comes into play if we're if we are addressing problems in our electoral system from a policy perspective. Is that something that the states do or is that something the federal government does or is that something that the states do with the federal government's assistance? Yeah, I, th I think the answer is closest to that that last point you just made. It's something that the states do with the federal government's assistance. Obviously, the uh, Constitution says that states dictate the time, place and manner of elections and the decentralized nature of our elections is actually one of its strengths. If you think about you know, potential vulnerabilities, even if you exploit one jurisdiction, that's not going to necessarily have any impact in even neighboring jurisdictions or neighboring states. And so that decentralized uh, system is really valuable. 
the second half of the elections clause from the Constitution basically says, you know, unless Congress um, feels the need to, to intervene, which which they have at various points in time. I'm thinking about the Voting Rights Act, the Help America Vote Act, the Uniformed and Overseas Citizens uh, Absentee Voting Act. Um, so, so there are instances where the federal government has gotten involved in, in Federal candidates are on the ballot, um, so there, you know there there is a role for the federal government to play, kind of in conjunction with states, kind of taking the lead on these things. That's a a great point. Like so much in American politics and American political history, it's it's very rarely like one way or the other. And in it, there, the federal government has been involved in this space in the past, and so the question becomes what it should do, if anything, in the future um, to, to address these issues. But what you, what you underscore in this paper, what, what jumped out at me at least, and we'll, we'll link to this in the, in the show notes, was the, the importance of funding, which isn't necessarily a policy a change, right? I mean, you're not changing how we conduct our elections as much as just ensuring that we are fully, maybe fully funding them, if that's, if that's the right way to state it. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so kind of underlying all of this is in many jurisdictions, essentially all jurisdictions, elections are underfunded. It's not a matter of whether or not elections are underfunded. It's how underfunded they are. Um, and and that, that creates, you know, risk that jeopardizes potential security, that jeopardizes perceived integrity. And, you know, in politics, perception becomes reality to a certain extent. And so, again, not changing any policies necessarily, but just thinking about how to get more money in elections, and not just for the sake of having more money, but to make sure that each jurisdiction can conduct the best set of elections as possible. I mean, election administrators around the country are some of the, the best public servants that we have. But, you know, uh, you know, some of these offices are essentially held together with, you know, glue and tape. And, and that's not really what we want from, from elections, I would think. Well, and certainly anyone who's stood in line for, for several hours at a time can probably attest to how much better that would have been if they had like fans with some of the mist blowing at them or maybe like <laughs> getting like a some musicians to play i mean what are you when we say fully funding or funding elections versus underfunding elections what are the kinds of things that that you're talking about i mean surely you're not talking about you know hiring people to entertain americans as they stand in line and wait to vote Oh, of course not. Although if it'll increase turnout, maybe someone should experiment with that. No, I, I kid. Um, but, you know, mostly what we're talking about is, you know, we'll stick specifically through the lens of security. Um, in, in many places, um, the, the IT person is the youngest person in the office, um, not necessarily an IT professional. Um, and in an increasingly technologically sophisticated space, you need people who are not just IT conversant, but IT fluent. Um, and so being able to hire basically information technology specialists um, is, is a luxury that, that many people don't have. Even offices that do have an, an IT specialist, they often share them with other offices. So, so you don't have kind of regular cont uh, contact or access to 
um, these people. Um, and, you know, oftentimes the, these offices are kind of placed wherever they can be found, wherever there's a large enough vicinity. Um, so, for example, there's like, you know, former car dealerships, which in theory makes sense because they've got a large parking space. They've got a big open space with individual offices. But oftentimes the entire front of these buildings are just pure glass, um, which which is a huge vulnerability in terms of physical security. It'd be really easy to, um, it'd be a lot easier, I should say, to breach that than say an actual cemented wall that's maybe even elevated off of the ground. And, and so that not only puts election workers at risk, but you know sensitive materials like um, voting machines, potentially if they're not stored offsite or just other you know sensitive things that become a lot more vulnerable because the election office has just been housed in whatever was most convenient. So, and that's interesting. So one, one justification or one argument in support of increased funding is that it better secures our elections and makes them less resistant to being stolen or hacked or whatever words that you wanna use. Is that correct? Is that my correct reading? And then, but in addition to that, what other, how would the average American see it? Would they see any difference in this? Or are there other ways in which increased funding would impact the average, or just not even the average, just somebody who's going to vote? Would they see something different? Yeah, I, I, I think so. There, there's the potential to, you know, retain experienced staff and perhaps even hire additional staff, which you know, you know, more hands makes less work is kind of always going to be the case. And so, you know, if you're if you find yourself at an understaffed polling location, um, you know, there there could be you know that could result potentially in kind of more complications or longer waits um, in the worst case scenario. And you know, when you have very few eyes going over information, you know, that's it's sometimes easy for. Um, you know, potentially something to slip through or, you know, say your your ballot gets lost in the mail, God forbid, um, you know, you it can be hard to kind of identify where that is. And in terms of just not having enough manpower um, and then but also if we're thinking about, you know, kind of broader picture, you could see potentially more more convenient, more reliable voting options. You know, there are many jurisdictions around the country that are relying on machines that are, you know, kind of past their life expectancy. You know, they were bought well over 20 years ago and were never expected to be used for more than 10 or 15 years. Um, so you could see quite literally, you know, bright, shiny, new, a lot kind of faster, more reliable um, equipment. Um, by virtue of better funding. And so it could overall increase the the voting experience for individuals. So to kind of, you know, and so it's your, what you're saying, like new polling locations, potentially kind of like a more professional experience or a smoother, more kind of efficient experience, uh, you know, faster counting. I think all, you know, at least all political junkies and journalists would certainly applaud that on election night. And in more secure elections is, I mean, it's uh, taken together, it's, it changes, or at least it, you know, it changes the totality of the, of the process, if you will, or the, all of the process and just making it better is, is that I'm just trying to put it in my own non-expert no, way I, of I thinking. Think 
Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. It can it can improve the the experience for both workers and voters is kind of beginning to end. You know, a, a lot of some of our most common gripes about how elections are conducted could be resolved through better funding. So in thinking through where this funding comes from, which I guess is the next step, right? I, I want to go back to something you said earlier when you mentioned the underfunded jurisdictions. Do we have a sense of which states underfund elections more than and which ones I guess well, I think you write all of them underfund, but which ones fund better than fund their elections better than others? So I, I don't I don't have a great answer for that. Um, the it's, there's going to be considerable variation within states as well. Um, but a lot, I would say a lot, almost all jurisdictions, um, it's paid for locally. Um, so therefore, your more populous and more affluent jurisdictions are going to be better funded than your kind of more sparsely populated um, and less affluent areas, uh, again, because you know, you're collecting through some form of local tax in order to pay for these things in most cases. Um, now, very few states do bear the entire cost of elections. But again, that that requires an amount of resources that um, can be, be cumbersome or impossible to replicate in, in other places. Um, and so by and large, it is still a, a local endeavor. That's interesting. So it's at the county level, which then I can, you can, you do have widely disparate uh, variations in wealth across the nation when it comes to uh, you know, the county level and state level, incidentally, but especially at the county level and in, in funding, a, an, a fully funding your elections in one place may be a lot harder than other places. What kind of, uh, is, are there certain programs that states create to step in? To help even that out, does the the federal government have any grant programs, things like that, to help even that out? Somewhat. Um, so the the federal government has you know appropriated some funds. Uh, you know, just last month in the the omnibus, um, seventy five million dollars in security grants were made available. Um, and so prior to that, the federal government had allocated grants, um, three times in the last decade at around 400 million, uh, each time, but that amounts to less than 10% of the cost of elections during that, that same decade. Um, you know, elections cost billions of dollars per year. Um, and even when the federal government is on the ballot, they're, they're not necessarily paying. It's only, you know, as, as security has become more of a concern um, that the federal government has inter intervened. And it's always been a kind of one-off um, kind of appropriation uh, like like we saw um, in the omnibus and in some years before that. And when we're talking about increasing funding for elections, are we talking about state funding or are we talking about the federal government funding or does it matter? So I, ideally, it would be both. Um, what is important is that the funds, you know, make it to local jurisdictions, um, because in many cases, the, the federal government allocates funds, um, the state applies for them, um, and then eventually it comes to the state. And, you know, it gets the, the state 
keeps some amount of money and then maybe some amount of money gets dispersed amongst all of the counties within a state. Um, Even though the local jurisdictions are the ones most responsible for administering the elections um, most of the time. And so ideally it would be both the federal government prioritizing election funding as well as the state kind of rethinking how it funds elections and then both of them doing what they can to get those funds to the localities that are you know, kind of doing the, the detailed work of conducting elections. That's that cooperative federalism kind of relationship between the federal government and the state government at work, I think. But how should the government, when we talk about increasing funding, like what should the, let's just use the federal government as an example uh, to make it easier to, to kind of wrap our heads around, but what should the government be funding, right? How should it increase funding for elections? I mean, you, you're you not necessarily arguing for you know, policy changes so much as just funding increases to compensate for the underfunded aspect of our elections. Like what should they actually, in a perfect world, uh, Ryan Williamson is in charge because he went to the University of Georgia, not Auburn, and he gets to call all the shots. What would you fund? Ideally, it would be money for security at the and, local and I'm sorry, level. I don't... And sorry to interrupt. I mean, because I know we've discussed, but I mean, like, are there like what are what programs are there? Are there certain pipelines in place? Are there certain things that the federal government can fund? Like we need to increase funding for this grant program by X amount. Or is it something that is just these general areas we need to fund and, and then leave it to Congress to to either appropriate it or to authorize it and appropriate it? Yeah, there's there's not specific programs, and I, I don't want to over-prescribe where funds should be spent um, because, you know, having too many strings attached can create confusion and you know, make it more difficult for these jurisdictions to kind of get the money that they need and devote it to what they need because it, what one jurisdiction may need um, could look wildly different than the jurisdiction next to it, but they could both be under the umbrella of, say, uh, physical security or technological security. And if you say, okay, we're, I'm going to open up these funds for cyber navigators, there are states that already have cyber navigators or already have you know, robust cyber protections, and, but they, again, they might need more physical security or they might need more staff. Uh, and so the, the needs are so many and so disparate across jurisdictions that you know, being overly prescriptive um, could you know, kind of undercut the, the point of having better funding. Well, as anybody can attest who follows politics these days, elections are everything. They're they're really important. And we've had a lot of discussion, a lot of interest in different uh, reforms and how we actually conduct our elections. But I think this this paper is a is a welcome addition to that debate because it says, well, let's also think about how much we pay for those elections because you get what you pay for, I think. And it's it's a it's an interesting take on a on a problem that I think we have discussed uh, at length in various other ways. But but I, I do I, I like the fact that we're coming at this from a completely different way. As you say, we're rethinking uh, election uh, funding. But I would say rethinking kind of how to solve our election problems. 
And, and it's, and I thank you for, for that. And I thank you for coming on, but is there anything that you would like to share with the, with the listeners, with, uh, with me, um, before, before we, uh, wrap up, I'm going to give you the last word here. No, I, I greatly appreciate it. And I just, I just want to reiterate the point that I think you made really well and succinctly is you get what you pay for. Um, and elections are everything. And, you know, we, we not need to have a, a real conversation as a country about what do we want elections to look like, because they are the foundation of, kind of everything else that we do. Well, I love those conversations and we need to have more of them. So thank you for, for joining us. And this has been another episode of Politics in Question. Thank you for listening to Politics in Question. This podcast is a partnership between New America and the R Street Institute. Our producer is Elizabeth Lucero, and our audio engineer is Shannon Lynch. The theme music is composed and performed by yours truly. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.